The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about the show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. This holiday season, you can help those who are less fortunate than you. iCareForYou.org stands for Infinite Compassion Action Relief Effort for Youth and Adults. This Orange County organization helps provide care to foster kids at risk youth and homeless youth, as well as Operation Feed the Homeless. On December 18th, you can help out by feeding the homeless, which will include over 50 children ages 3 to 11. Just visit www.icare4ya.org. That's I-C-A-R-E, number 4, Y-A.org. And find out how you can bring a wrapped gift for a 3 to 11-year-old and all the details about helping to feed the homeless December 18th here in Orange County. And there'll be approximately 100 adults and 50 kids, plus Santa. And if you can't make this December 18th event, every two weeks, icare4ya.org has reoccurring events. Just visit www.icare4ya.org or send an email to d.ramirez, that's R-A-M-I-R-E-Z, at icare4ya.org. This holiday season... Help show some compassion and care for those in need. If you're just tuning in, I'm Janine, and you're listening to Get the Funk Out right here on KUCI 88.9 FM. And I thought I would share with you an article I came across by Dan Buettner, author of Thrive, Finding Happiness, The Blue Zones Way. And the article I'm going to share with you is in Parade Magazine online. It's called You'll Wish You Were Here, Raising Your Own Joy Quotient. I thought it was very appropriate considering the topic of my show is all about trying to find that happiness, that next chapter in your life. Maybe you've gone through some major life changes, whether it's a job loss or just a new chapter in your life, and you're looking to find some happiness. So I thought this might shed a little light on your situation. More than any other factor, including income, education level, and religion, where you live determines your happiness. Five things to look for. Quiet. People can get used to an ugly street or sub-freezing weather. In fact, Minnesotans are happier than Floridians, but they don't adapt to noise like jet planes overhead or buzzing transmission lines. It steadily erodes happiness. Walkability is another factor of happiness. Go to walkscore.com and type in an address and see how your neighborhood rates in terms of strolling distance to parks, groceries, religious organizations, and museums. Safety is another factor. In surveys, people consistently ranked safety as even more important than freedom. You want a place that draws you out, not nudges you in. Income equality. If you live in a neighborhood where your neighbor's paychecks are similar to yours, that's another factor influencing happiness. One study found that people would rather make $50,000 a year and live among those earning the same than make $100,000 and live among those who made $250,000. A short commute also factors into your joy quotient. Commuting is people's least favorite daily activity. In fact, research shows that workers who travel an hour each way 
would need a 40% raise to be as satisfied with their lives as those who walk to work. Now inside your home, try these six known mood lifters. Toss the extra TVs. Keep only one TV in your house, ideally in an out-of-the-way spot. Removing one from your kid's room, research shows will likely reduce his or her body fat index by nudging them to be more active. Connect with family and friends. Data from Gallup Healthways polls show that the happiest Americans socialize an astounding six to seven hours a day. Paint yourself happy. Research on color and psychology shows that painting a room yellow will increase energy and lift the spirits. Sea foam green, a healing shade used in Japanese hospitals, is good for rooms devoted to relaxation. Grow some veggies. Several studies have shown that gardening lowers stress hormones. Planting, weeding, fertilizing, and harvesting are good low-intensity activities that can raise your heart rate and improve your range of motion. A garden also comes with its own deep-rooted source of motivation. Unless you want to end up with a plot full of dead plants, you'll need to keep getting out there and working. Soak up some sun. Maximize your daily intake of sunlight by creating an outdoor area putting in a patio, getting lawn chairs, where you can relax. Research shows that sunlight prompts the manufacture of endorphins that give you a feeling similar to a runner's high. And it also promotes the manufacture of vitamin D, a compound that many Americans lack. Just a few minutes of quality sunlight on the face and arms can provide more vitamin D than a gallon of milk. And lastly, center your bedroom on sleep. The average person should sleep six to seven hours per night for optimal health and well-being. If you get into bed at a decent time, but then find yourself unable to doze off, turn your bedroom into a sleep-centered zone. Free it from TVs, computers, brightly glowing clocks, and other distractions. Make sure it can get dark and stay warm or cool, depending on your preference. If reading helps send you to dreamland, keep books and magazines nearby. Finally, put the light source within arm's reach. That way, when you begin to feel drowsy, you can switch off the light without having to get up. This article was adapted from the forthcoming book, Thrive, Finding Happiness, The Blue Zones Way, by Dan Buettner. Hi, this is Beth Bechet Wood, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, and the Get the Funk Out Show. I know I am hearing voices inside my head Telling me to wake up and get out of bed Stay here safe in my own cocoon Until the sun's straight up at the crack of noon I know I know That the peach is ripe and the water's fine Better than that, I know you're a friend of mine I know Words like here and eternity But why do they have to 
is going faster than you can run. You hardly got warmed up when your day was done. I know. I know. Shaywood with I Know. And now, this week's featured guest, Beth Fashaywood. Beth, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad we could connect, and you have a very interesting musical background, and I'd love to find out if you want to talk about your backstory. That would be a great place to start. I was singing when I was a teeny little kid. Oh. Uh, probably before I really even knew the English language, I would... Uh, I would just listen to songs and memorize songs and get the words all wrong because I didn't know the correct English Cute. words. Cute. So, yeah, but I but I was always singing. I was always very shy, which doesn't quite go together with the singing part. But um, but I always loved to sing and I always loved listening to music. Were your parents musical? Yes, they were. Okay. Yes, uh, my mother was a um, kind of an amateur musical comedy actress. Really? And when I was five, she had the lead in Phoenix in uh, South Pacific. Nice. So, of course, when, when she was learning all that music, I learned it all, too. Oh, that's great. And um, then my father got a couple of uh, little roles. He was a stockbroker, but he got a couple of roles in um, some of the musical theater amateur plays there, too. How fun. Yeah. So you, fun. you grew up in Phoenix? Yes. And then what brought you to Long Island, New York? Well, Long Island was where I was born, and then they moved me to, and then they moved, uh, my father got transferred to Phoenix when I was two. Well, I think at that time, too, it was after the war, and, and we think they, the country was being repopulated with the young men who came home. I see. So it, so they were sending them every which way. And when did you really start getting deeply into music? Well, I, the funny thing was, I was always so deeply into it that I didn't even realize I was. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I always 
listen to music. I always laid on the, you know, on the living room floor and listened to the stereo. And I had, we had our own, my sister and I had our own little stereo in our, not stereo, but um, hi-fi in our room. And mm-hmm. I always played records from the time I was three. Nice. And um, so, so I fell in love with guitar when I was 15. And... I hadn't really realized that I've been doing music the whole time up until then. And then, you know, so when I p- learned how to play guitar and sing and s- officially sing, um, it came very easily to me. And um, it wasn't until I was 18 that I realized, oh, music is what I like to do the most. I guess that's what I am. So let me back up a second. So when you say you didn't realize it was something that you were really... Well, it was, it was just so much a part of me that it's like saying, well... I, I love breathing, so I guess I yes. must be a breather, you know? <laughs> right, right. What were you listening to, by the way? What were, what were some of I was favorites? listening to everything. I mean, everything that my parents had available to me, and, of course, everything was on, on the radio. I loved, I loved the pop music that mm-hmm. was on the radio. But I can remember the, the, from the earliest times, my favorite records were Harry Belafonte and, mm-hmm. uh, and Burl Ives, which is, they're, they're pretty different, mm-hmm. and um, the Sons of the Pioneers. They're different too, right? And my mother uh, belonged to this little club where she would get a new record every month of uh, the uh, musical comedy. Oh, nice! You know, so that was that was the great era of musical comedy, right? The the fifties, like the, you know, got South Pacific and My Fair Lady, and um, you know, Sound of Music, and all those. You know. It sounds like you just absorbed everything. I did. You got your hands I on. just absorbed everything. Yeah. And then I, I got a stepfather, and he loved jazz, so that's, that was when I was eight. So uh, they were playing all the jazz, so I was learning all those songs. And then how did you get involved with the band Honk? Well, I, uh, after I, I told you, I realized finally that a musician was probably what I was. Mm-hmm. So that was, I was still in Phoenix at that time. So a friend, my friend and I decided that we should go hit the big time, go take over Hollywood, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and easy. So, um, yeah. so we did with a, with a couple of uh, uh, boys that we knew, mm-hmm. uh, Doug Haywood and, and um, Jeff Gilkinson. And so we, uh, we traveled to, um, to L.A. and got um, and met some of the people through her, her, through her parents uh, that they knew a couple of people from L.A. that were in the publishing business. Great. And when I was in L.A., of course, I was uh, wandering around trying to get gigs and so forth, and I was hitting all the hoot nights everywhere. Do you know that No, term, what's a hoot, hoot night? night? No. Um, a hoot night was what what is now called an open mic. Oh. It was then called a hoot night. It was usually on Monday night or Tuesday night, and you'd wander in to a place like the Troubadour, mm-hmm. and you'd sign up. You'd get there early, and you'd sign up for a little spot, and then you'd uh, walk up there, and they'd have a couple of mics set up, and you'd do four songs, and, and you know, a lot of people. That's great. I, I think I wrote about that in my bio. How did that go? Uh it, it was it was thrilling. It was mainly thrilling, not because of what I did, but because of the people I saw. That was mm-hmm. the first place I saw Jackson Brown. He was also performing at the Hoot oh. Night because they had a particular section of the night where they called back certain people that they really, really liked, mm-hmm. and were just right on the edge of being good enough to actually hire and pay. You know, right? Wow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that was when I first heard Jackson Brown, um, Carla Bonoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Long Branch and Penny Whistle, who were 
Glenn Fry and J.D. Souther. Oh. Uh, Tom Waits was there on a hoot night. And um, This is the Troubadour? This is at the Troubadour. Nice. Troubadour Monday nights. Mm-hmm. And they would play four songs. And uh, and w- what happened when I mis- first met Jackson, one week uh, my band and I had, had played the hoot night. And we'd you know, done our little bit. And, and the next week I went to see it because I went to see it every week. Mm-hmm. And this this cute fellow came up to me and said, "Boy, I really liked your singing a lot last week." I said, "Thank you very much." And then he got up and he started playing, the, you know, these days. Mm-hmm. From the times you come, it was Jackson Brown. Wow, look at that! So that was when I met him. I mean, I met him. He he was complimenting me first, and then of course I just fell out. I mean, he was so good, amazing. He was absolutely wonderful then, and so all these people were. Just amazingly good. So anyway, that's um, the hoot night idea. This is getting back to how I met Honk, mm-hmm. because uh, the Golden Bear in Huntington Beach also had one of these hoot nights. Yes. By then, Jackson Brown had gotten good enough to actually hire places, so he was actually playing at the Golden Bear for money. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe if Jackson got a gig there, maybe I could get a gig there, so I'll go try that hoot night. Okay. So I went to that hoot night, and Honk was playing. They'd just gotten together maybe a couple of weeks before that, and they were playing there, and I played there, and, and then Steve Wood came up to me, and he told me he thought I sounded nice, and Great. that's when I met Steve, and that's when I first heard Honk. Were you playing electric guitar or acoustic? No, no, I was playing acoustic guitar. I was a little folk singer. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Wow. So, so this I was... mean, that, that whole thing of how, you know, coming to L.A. and everything, that was all tied into meeting Honk and and first um, meeting all those people and um, hearing all that great music for the first time. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I thought that I thought that it must be that everywhere around the world, it, you just walk into a place and hear these marvelous people that nobody knew anything about who were right. fabulously, world-beatingly great. Well, you obviously had a lot of talent. Don't well, yourself. I, I don't even know about that today. I guess <laughs> I do. But... Um, yeah, I mean, but when you love something as much as I do, it, it it you just have to do it. Right. And I'm sure it showed how much you loved it. Yeah, I have a good time. <laughs> and how long were you with Honk? I was with Honk. Actually, I didn't get with them right then. It took another year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then Steve, there was another whole Jackson Brown connection with that, too, because the publishing people that I was working with, weirdly enough, was they were also working with Honk. Oh. The publishing people I told you about, my friend having connections with. Right, right. That was our first um, call when we got to L.A. to try to hit the big time, right? That's great. <laughs> and uh, so these pe- these people um, were working with Honk, too. And I played, you know, I would, back then, of course, they didn't have any tape machines or anything. So if you really liked somebody's music, uh, you had to memorize it. Oh. Well, you were, li- you know, you had to go to their gigs yes. and try to get a bar napkin and write down whatever words you could pick up and try to look at their hands and see what chords they were playing sure. and so forth. So I, um, I, I really like Jackson's songs, so I would, I would learn his songs from going to listen to him. And I would play them to everybody because I thought they were so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so I played them to these publishing people, and they thought they were wonderful too. So they went to see Jackson, and they thought um, that he wasn't a very good singer, so why don't I sing his songs? 
what? and then they could they would try to get his songs published and covered right okay so they thought well but i didn't play all that well so why don't they get honk to back me up so um so they got honk and i, I to back me up and i we uh, went into the studio to cut opening farewell mm-hmm. to try and you know for them to show jackson's material around mm-hmm. and um that's when steve fell in love with me is when i was we were in that process of trying to record that song so that's that's how we got together, and then after we got together, then I got into Honk, and that was 1970, ended 1971. Mm-hmm. Honk broke up in 1975, mm-hmm. so that was with them from, say, beginning of 72 to the to 75 mm-hmm. when they broke up. What I did not break s- them up. Oh, you didn't ever? <laughs> <laughs> I did not do that. Okay, and then what happened with you and Steve? Well, then Steve and I got a, uh, got a, a record deal with Arista Records. Mm-hmm. And we made an album and uh, bought a house with the uh, the money that they gave us, you know. The, yes. And so then they couldn't figure out what to do with the album, so they dropped us. And then we just started working and started going along the path that we are still on today. Let me ask you a quick question. Now, how did Jackson Brown feel that you were covering a song for Honk? Fine? Gives him more exposure? Fine, yeah. No, yeah. He, was, he was always so nice to us, and he was always so nice to Honk. Nice. Uh, we ended up uh, at the end of Honk. We got to be kind of uh, kind of big shots, and mm-hmm. we were um, we had some uh, really good uh, you know agents. Looking we got us. really good agents, yes. and so they put us on tours with the Beach Boys in Chicago and Jackson, mm-hmm. and you know uh, Dave Mason and people like that. Look and at we, you! So we were doing a little bit of traveling, doing that, and. Um, and Jackson, every time we would open for him, he was so nice. And every time I'd see him, he was so nice because he remembered me from the early days. Right. And um, so, yeah, no, he he was fine with it. That's and nice. not only that, but there was another thing that happened with the Jacksons, and that was that I asked Jackson if he would teach me this one song called "The Top." He oh. sang this. He he was writing a bunch in those days, and he was writing these wonderful songs. So I got up my nerve up one day and went and asked him if he would teach me the song The Top. So he mm-hmm. came over to my house and taught this to me. And then my friend Doug Haywood wandered in, mm-hmm. and Jackson met him. And Doug was a guitar player slash bass player. And mm-hmm. so he got into Jackson Brown, Jackson's band, and he was playing with Jackson for the next 20 years. Wow, because of that meeting. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. So, th- so that, that was another kind of funny... So anyway, Jackson was always grateful for me, to me for providing him with the bass player. Look at that! <laughs> Look at that! You know, so he was he was always really really nice to me, and he was yeah. uh, fine with me covering his songs, That's even great. though I didn't feel I did that great a job. <laughs> he liked it, and I was always talking up his his name to everybody. You know, so well, that's great. That there you go. So you know, people. You know, people liked that in those days. That was what really made or break broke a career was people talking about how wonderful you were in mm-hmm. that community. Well, I always um, laugh when I think about Woodstock because there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't mm-hmm. email. Right, right. And to get all those people together that yeah. fast for a major, major concert right. was amazing. Yeah, that was it was amazing. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. I was back east at that time. I didn't go that, you know, but I, I just happened to be back there with my family right when that was going on, and it was a, it was a big <laughs> big huge, thing. Huge deal, yes. It was just a, it was like being, you know, invaded by an army or something. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Now, 
So where do things – you want to talk about what happened in the 80s? Because you started writing a lot. and Yeah, in the 80s, I, I had uh, – I decided right way early on that I was going to try to make a career until I was, say, 29 or 30, and then I was going to try to start having kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, that's what I did. That was 1979. I had kids about two months after I was 30. And, and uh, so it, during the 80s, I was uh, busy raising those kids, and I was at home while Steve was touring with Kenny Loggins and so forth. And um, How many kids? Two. Mm-hmm. I had two. I had Nate Wood first, and then I had Jimmy Wood second. So he was on the road with Kenny, and, and so Nate and Jimmy were born then. And I was at home, and so I thought I would try to get my nerve up to... I, I, I always had little song things going on in my mind, but they were never good enough to actually try to make a song out of. And in the middle of the 80s, I decided I had to try to make them good enough. And that was, I realized I finally had to just try to make them good enough. They weren't going to be good enough on their own. I had to try. And so that pretty much started me writing. Oh. Was it a confidence thing that you just didn't think you were? No, it was that I was writing crappy stuff. Oh, you knew it was crappy. I okay. knew it was crappy. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I hated singing crappy stuff. Right. I never sang crappy stuff. If yes. somebody came up with me for the first song, they came up with, uh, my manager wanted me to sing Don't Make Your Brown Eyes Blue. And, you know, before the, the the record company wanted me to sing that, and I thought, no, that song just isn't for me. I don't like yeah, it. Good for you. You know, well, not good for me, because then they gave it to Crystal Gale, and she had a big Oh, hit. no. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was before she did uh-huh. it, and it would have been nice to have yes. a good career. So you kicked yourself. But anyway, so that was the way I was, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't sing crappy stuff, and I was writing crappy stuff, so I wouldn't sing it. And I... I but I realized I had to kind of move that standard over a little bit if I was going to progress at all. Yes. And so so I had to start working on stuff. And so I finally, it took me many, many, many years. It took maybe five years at least before I even got a song that I would even sing to anybody. Wow, look at that. And then, but, you know, finally I got to the point where I was writing stuff that I could stand. <laughs> you know, really. Truly, and I'm not kidding no, about that. I believe you. It's yeah. funny because I talk to some people and they say, when I had kids, I got really creative and I started cranking out songs. You've, you've had the opposite reaction where you were like, I wrote crap. and you know. Well, I did get creative, but um, it, it was that I realized, and it's funny because having kids really had played a big part in that where I watched, I watched, for example, my, my, uh, my first boy, Nate, I mm-hmm. watched him learn to play music when he was two, oh. and I watched how bad he was, and he was so motivated. He was such a you know compulsive guy about playing mm-hmm. back when he was two that he got good, mm-hmm. and then I realized, oh, maybe you don't start out good. Maybe you have to work at it, sure. you know, and I thought, stupid Beth, you know, <laughs> so I just <laughs> You're so like, I started working at it, yeah. and uh, so that that was really inspiring to me to watch his progress, progress. Right. and of course, he became... A, a, a great, great, great drummer. That was that was my next question. Are your boys both musical? Yes, my my uh, son Nate is probably one of the best musicians I've ever known or heard. Really? Yeah, he's he's going to be playing. Actually, he's going to be playing tonight at the Marine Room. So if you if you have any time at all, you need to come see that. It sounds exciting. What time and where uh, is well, it? he's probably going to be on a little bit later. 
but I start at eight. Okay. And um, and it's going to be Richard Steckel from the Honk Band, and he's going to be playing with my boy Nate. And he just got back. Nate just got back from Europe a tour with somebody or other. I don't know who. That's so exciting. So he's he's uh, making a living doing music, and he's just um, he's just one of the best. How old is your son now? He's uh, thirty-two. What about your other son? And Jimmy, he's also musical, but he never wanted to work at it. I think he he recognized that he had a bunch of uh, compulsive people around him, and he just didn't want to go down that same track that everybody else was going down. Right. So he didn't really love it enough to kind of ignore that thought. So he just he you know he just went his own way, and he is he's now a very good taekwondoist or taekwondoist. And he does um, carpentry. That's great. That's yeah. great. But he also does music, but he just hasn't made a living with it. Is he a guitarist? No, he doesn't play an instrument. Oh. But he sings and he writes music and and uh, does garage band, makes tracks. And stuff. That's great. Yeah. Now you have five CDs. I do have five CDs. Actually. Yep. My husband Steve has a studio, mm-hmm. and I have a little studio myself. So between the two of us, we make CDs whenever we have enough. Um, material to, to fill them or some, whenever we really feel that we need to get some of this stuff down. And they, you're playing out a lot? Yes, quite a bit. Tell me about that. Where are you playing? Where do you have to... Well, I uh, in the summertime here in Laguna Beach, we have all these art festivals, and I play at all those with my various groups because I have uh, a number of different groups I play with. Mm-hmm. I play with the girls, a group called The Girls, which is two other girls besides me, and we do a lot of harmony work and and a lot of stuff. We do a lot of our originals and everything you can imagine. That's then great. I have a. Then we still play with honk sometimes, a couple of times a year. Steve and I do. You know, I play by myself. Also play with a little group with my husband and this other fellow, Bob Hawkins, called. Uh, our group is called The Snacks, mm-hmm. and we just do songs that we really want to do, and mm-hmm. anywhere from Boswell sister songs from the 1920s to whatever. Beautiful. Yeah. And congratulations, you won first place songwriter at the Tucson Folk Music Festival in yeah. 2009. That's uh-huh. great. That was nice. That and, was a nice surprise. And you have, um, you also mentioned that you, um, in Laguna Beach, you've hosted for seven years? Yes. That's the that's the Tuesday night I was talking about, that, oh. that uh, my boy Nate, Nate is going to be at that one tonight. It's every single Tuesday. Every single Tuesday, I open up the night with my set, and then I have three guest artists. Nice. And some of them, some of them really have been around a long time and really, really know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. then some of them have maybe had careers that have been interrupted and are getting back into it. But it's kind of a bow to the troubadour thing that I was talking about. Nice. You know, where uh, people, that, these days it's very, very hard to develop that skill of playing on stage because there's no place to do it. Or there wasn't seven years ago. It was right. it was not quite as um, regular a thing to have a, a open mic night or a songwriter showcase night back seven years ago as it is today. Right. But uh, it's it's been very successful, and I have people coming from all over the country and even from all over the world. I've had people coming. You really? From, you know, Germany and Australia and all over. That's fantastic! Congratulations. Yeah, it's it's uh, really neat. It's sometimes it's better than others but sometimes it's the best music you you would you can't even believe how good it is tonight for example uh, my boy nate is going to be playing with richard steckel who is also in honk mm-hmm. and he's also going to be playing a set with his 
um, Nate is going to be playing a set with his wife, uh, with his wife, and mm-hmm. that'll be really good. Nice. And and also some friends of ours are, will be playing tonight. And then next week, which is probably after this thing, right. after this uh, segment airs. Yeah, after this airs, uh, we're going to have two, three, three really good people. One of them's Al Blake, who is uh, we first met, I guess. I don't know. So that'll be, let's let's ago. throw some dates out so people can get. Um, yeah, okay, next Tuesday is December 6th. Right. And Al Blake, is a, he's a wonderful blues guy. He was in Hollywood Fats Blues Band, mm-hmm. and he's been around forever. He's just, just so good. And Joel Raphael is also going to play that night, and he is uh, one of the very, very few people that Woody Guthrie's family allows to put music to some of those lyrics that Woody wrote before he died. Oh, really? Yes. So that he's very interested, and he's very interesting, and he's very well-connected. He's a wonderful writer in, in his own right. Nice. And so he's going to be there next Tuesday. So if people want to follow up to find out the schedule for every Tuesday, is there a website? Yeah, my website. You want to throw that out? And that's www.bethfichetwood.com. And I, good luck with that one. I, <laughs> I <was just> gonna <laughs> say. You want to spell Fichet? F as in Frank, I-T-C-H. E T, great. So it looks like Fitch et. Okay. Beth Fichet Wood, but we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Beth Fichet Wood. The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about the show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. How about a glass of milk? That's gross. Well, count sheep or something. Mommy, you can do better than that. Well, do you have any other ideas? Oh, I know. I can listen to KUCI 88.9. Cool. That's exactly what I'm doing. Friend us on Facebook at KUCI-FM and follow us on Twitter at KUCI-FM. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. What are you doing in work? You're obviously sick. Oh, it's not that... <laughs> it's not that bad. It only hurts when I swallow today and sometimes when I breathe, but I'll be all right. You know, it is that time of year again when cold and flu are running rampant, so here are some tips for trying to stay healthy. Number one, wash your hands. Most cold and flu viruses are spread by direct contact, so keep your hands clean all the time. And don't cover your sneezes and coughs with your hands, because that's no good. You're just basically sharing the germs all over the place. Drink plenty of fluids. Do some exercise regularly. You should actually also be eating foods that contain phytochemicals. Phyto means plant, and the natural chemicals in these plants give vitamins and food a supercharged boost, which boosts your immune system. Definitely don't smoke, and cut out the alcohol. That only suppresses your immune system and dehydrates you anyway. And finally, relax, because you can actually teach yourself to relax and activate your immune system which helps you fight against cold and flu viruses. As for you, I'd suggest you go home. Yeah, I guess you're right. 
Good thinking. We're back with Beth Fashay Wood. So Beth, you were mentioning there's something really great that happened last year. Yeah, it was it was really great. It was a uh, um I was one of the three nominees for Artist of the Year. Whoa, congratulations. And for, by the Laguna Beach Art Alliance. Nice. And that uh that really I just <sighs> was really thrilled by that. Excellent. It was mostly the Laguna Beach is a is a whole town of artists, but they're mostly vis- visual artists. And they're wonderful, wonderful. A lot of my good friends are the artists. And and uh, so I was just, I was really complimented by That's that. That's great. Well, that whole area, I know they have the Sawdust Festival and uh-huh. also the... Um, and the, the Art Pageant Festival. The Ma- yeah, the Art Festival, Pageant mm-hmm. the Masters and all that. Yeah, yes. Just wonderful, wonderful area. artists. Yeah. That's great. So I was, I was really, really felt good about being in that company. Well... That's a, certainly a feather in your cap, for yeah. sure. And well, sure it's well also deserved. just made me feel better. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I've done something after all. It's funny. I have I have noticed that uh, when people are really they really love music or they're really hard workers, mm-hmm. what they are is not the forefront in the forefront of their minds. It's what they do, what they are, are actively, um, you know, how hard they work. I they. Like they just do the work, you know what right, I mean? Right. My son, who's one of the best musicians I've ever known, never talks about how good he is. He only talks about what he's doing, what he's learning. Interesting. And he he never he never stops to take the time to think about, well, am I this good or am I that good or whatever. Well, it's good because you don't have to be critical of yourself. If you stop and worry about, you know, am I good or am oh, I Oh, you're bad? critical of yourself, believe me. Because uh, mm-hmm. you really... You really want to be putting out something that's good. I mean, you love music so much that it is very important for you to not be filling the musical airwaves with some more terrible stuff. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. I think there are some people in this world, they don't see themselves the way other people see them. Yeah. Well, that's true of a lot of people. Yes. You know, I think the people that are the most humble in this world, they... They're not going to pat themselves on the back. They just keep going and doing what they love. Right, exactly. And that's it. Well, they're too busy to do that. Yes. And also, you know, the people who are really good, and I don't necessarily count myself among those, but but I, they're they're very busy seeing the next project, the next thing that they learn that they need to be working on. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, I have a problem with this or I have a problem with my left hand is not so good, or I have a problem with, uh, you know, this part of my voice, and so that I have to work on that. And that's what they're busy thinking about. That's great. Not not the stuff that they already learned. Right. They're busy thinking about the next thing they need to work on. Not, boy, did I do that solo great. What's that? Not, not patting themselves on the back for a song they did well. They're just working on thinking about things they have to improve. Yeah. Well, you know, you pat yourself on the back just insofar as the fact that you uh, you can you have a right to keep going. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You know. No, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's great. So is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Yes. Steve and I are doing a show on uh, December 2nd. Oh, right. And it's a songwriter showcase put on by Tim Johnson. He he puts on a big, um, uh, it's a big series he has called Lord of the Strings, where he gets nice. world class 
um, guitarists usually, but he's also an, in as an adjunct to that. He's doing songwriter showcases, Beautiful. and uh, like maybe one a month or maybe one every two months. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, Lord of the Strings. And where is it? It's again? called, and it's going to be um, Friday, December second at the Dana Point Community Center. It's at starting at um, seven thirty. Phone number to call for tickets for that. It's it's bound to be pretty nice because uh, Steve and I have a, a duo going, and um, we do a lot of our own songs, but we do a lot of songs that interest us from maybe people that we have run into that we think are world class but who aren't famous yet, mm-hmm. things like that. So we do a lot of interesting stuff. Um, the phone number to get tickets is nine four nine eight four two. Two 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 seven. That's great. Yeah, I want to ask a couple more questions. Okay. Would you give your younger self any advice if you were giving your younger self advice? Oh yes. What What would that be? Work at it. If there's something that you really love and really want to do, but you don't feel like you're good enough at it, it might be because you haven't worked at it enough. It's not going to be readily obvious right from the get-go that what your what your potential is or what you could become you know what mm-hmm. i have become it is something i i'd never really dreamed of and it's very satisfying that's great when i was in my 30s i had a realization watching one of my friends will brady come into his own and that was that he was good because he had focused himself his own identity he had really become him more and that gave him a certain quality that was really 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 good that's great not trying to be somebody else just not trying to be somebody else or not trying to be his idea of what good quote unquote good is Mm -hmm. but trying to find his way into his own voice his own music that's really and that is i think that is the most important thing if you really 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 love something then work like hell at it and try to find your own identity in it, you know. No, it's so true because I, I play guitar and I think, oh, I want to learn how to do this yes. or that. And, and I think, well, it's so hard, you know. What if I can't do that? And it's like, well, uh-huh. just be the best you can be at what you can do. Well, it, also another thing I tell people is if, if you say something like, it's too hard, mm-hmm. well, what does that mean? Well, I mean like shredding. No, I mean, but yeah. no, I mean, but if if something is worth doing, you don't look at how hard it is. That is true. You know. Yeah. Um, true. I I told you I learned so much watching my boy Nate learn how to do this, and he didn't ever think about oh that's hard. Mm-hmm. He just thought this is what I want to do, so I'm going to spend whatever time I need to spend to do it. And he practiced, you know, on a on a slow day. He practiced four hours a day, and this is from the time he was not quite two. Oh, come on. No, I'm not kidding. Wow. That's a, remarkable. I'm telling you, come <laughs> this tonight. I don't think I can make it tonight, but I, but there will be other Tuesdays I can make it. Yeah, but okay. if, if you're going to miss Nate. <laughs> oh, he won't start. be playing again? Huh? No, he won't play again. Uh, no, he lives in, uh, he lives in uh, Brooklyn. Oh, he does? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I know I can't make it tonight. Yeah, that's, that's too bad because oh. it's really uh, – he plays – well, he has a number of party tricks that he does. One of them is he plays guitar and ba- I mean, he plays bass and drums at the same time. Same that, time? It, that's kind of a little spectacular thing that he does, but that's that's not even 
half of Is there a video of him? Is he on YouTube? Yes, he is. As a matter of fact, yes, he is. Um, he's in a band called Kneebody, K-N-E-E-B-O-D-Y, Kneebody. Okay. Okay. And there's a, little, um, there's a little clip of him doing his little party trick, what I call a party trick. Okay. And it's, called, it's under Three Body. Three Body. Yeah, T-H-R-E-E-B-O-D-Y. All right. And it's Nate Wood playing bass and drums at the same time with, cool. you know. So he plays, he's playing a couple of songs with them, and you can, you can see. Very nice. Very what, nice. What he can do. Do you feel that music has helped you through times throughout your life where you've been in a funk, if, if you have been in a funk? <laughs> well, that's a funny question because music has produced the funk enough times, you know? oh. but it's uh, but it also mainly I think yeah it was a train out of a great big freight train out of uh, bad situations really? and uh, out of probably not you know if there's anything ever that you really really love and you pursue it it gives you it gives you a reason and it gives you an energy to solve certain problems that you might not have otherwise mm-hmm. and it gives you a reason and an energy to not make certain mistakes that you might not have otherwise interesting so i i'd say it's not just music that does that it's if it's if you have some kind of mission you know which music is really a mission in a way you know uh but anything like that, if you fall in love with nursing or fall in love with agriculture sure. or whatever, you know, right. it's just, and then you will tend to solve your own problems because you don't want your own problems getting in the way of your pursuit of yes. that love. Yes. So it's huge to have something to love, and it, will, and it will create reasons for you to solve problems, and it will also solve them for you sometimes. That's such great advice. And so... Um, Yes, in that respect, and of course, in music, in music, of course, it's a, it's a, an emotional outlet, mm-hmm. certainly. So, right. but, but, actually, when you get to a certain point, it's not as much of an emotional outlet because you're trying to, you're trying to be good. You know, you're trying to, like I say, not crap up the airwaves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the depressing part. I mean, I know. So that can really put you in a funk right. if you happen to not be doing good music. That's true. At that's the time. So true. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you. Here's Beth Fishaywood with Red Red Sky. Salutations from a 
retreating world, forgotten world. I can hear him laugh if I concentrate and close my eyes. The sound that goes down the length of a red, red sky, red, red sky. piece of music was played with only two instruments, a right hand and a left hand. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life with hands-only CPR. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands-only CPR is recommended by the American Heart Association, and it's incredibly easy and effective. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. The power to help save a life is in your hands. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You've seen me around the neighborhood. And you've told me I'm a pretty good kid. Well, 
I'm one out of every four children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we could grow up and be whatever we want. I want to grow up and be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everyone. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. That's a wrap for this week's show. Thanks again to Beth Boucher-Wood for joining us. If you'd like to find out about being a guest on the Get the Funk Out show, just send an email to Janine, that's J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at KUCI.org. You can also visit my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And up next, Sheldon Abbott with Cure for the Blues. I'll see you back here next week. Peace out.